everyone, and welcome to Light Conversations on Trauma podcast. Bringing conversations around hardship into the light. It's me, Peter Middleton, here, and I'll be hosting this podcast. This is a space for intimate and empathetic chat around trauma, big T or little t. We have regular sections to this podcast, so look out for them. And each episode, I'll be joined by a guest who will share their unique perspective. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Light Conversations on Trauma podcast, and I'm sat here today with Natalia Dunn. Hi, Natalia. Hi. Hi. I'm so honoured to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's a real pleasure and honour to have you, so thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you here, actually. It's, I'm very excited to be here, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I know we've got so much to talk about, so much resonation, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but to start with, I'd like to ask you, what's your vibe? What's my vibe? Mm. <laughs> oh God, is it like something like more how people see me or how I think my vibe is? <laughs> I guess what I guess how you feel. Yeah, how uh, you I feel. Um, yeah. Oh my God, I never thought of this. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a good question. Um, I think my vibe. I guess I'm not threatening. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I come off as like a very threatening person. And I think it's also at the same time, my superpower, because by me not being threatening and approaching people in like this very um, disarmed manner, mm-hmm. people automatically drop their arms as well. And then you can really get into like those juicy and beautiful conversations when people don't feel they're going to be judged or threatened or attacked. So I kind of hope that this is my vibe, that I approach people from like a very safe space. Um, Mm -hmm. For a long time, I was extremely shy Mm. and I would not speak to people. And I was always like the very quiet girl. Mm -hmm. And I was just so afraid that people are going to judge me. And I also, for some reason, had this very limiting belief where I thought like, well, what I have to share and tell people is just not important and not interesting and they would not want to listen. And yeah. so I would just keep quiet. Yeah. And then, you know, I just realized that most of the time when you speak to people, they are actually so much more afraid that you're judging them, mm-hmm. that they're not spending their time judging you. Yeah. And when I kind of made this realization, it like made such a big shift and click in my head because I'm like, wow, wait. So right now this person is feeling like I was feeling and they're afraid that I'm going to judge them. <laughs> well, how yeah. can I show them that I'm not judging? Oh, and how can beautiful. I show them that they can come up as themselves? And yeah. this like tremendously impacted the way I build and create relationships or even just start conversations with people or relate to them. Like I come from, like when I see a new person, I just come to them energetically. I align myself to be like, listen, let me create a safe space for this person and hold them in mm. whatever they want to share. Wow. So I hope this vibe resonates. Yeah. <laughs> I hope of this answers your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's the that's the basis of empathic relating, isn't it? 
um, to be able to. Oh, yes. And it's so incredible. Yeah, the more conversations I have with the more people, like you said, you realize that actually everyone's sort of worried that the other person is judging them in ways. And it's kind of um, the only way to to um, rework that is is to lead with like vulnerability, like you were saying, and and just being truly open to another person and and just, yeah, not having any of the barriers and just allowing someone to see your heart as your heart wants to speak in that moment. That's such an Oh, my God, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I find it's also so rich because you can so... Um, when you are open to witnessing the other person without necessarily trying to jump in and, mm-hmm. like, you know put your input or like put your own protections up, mm-hmm. you can discover so many things about this person that maybe otherwise wouldn't have come into your life. Mm-hmm. And like my personal life has been so enriched by this approach when I meet people, because then you create a platform for them to speak their voice. And I'm, like very often in our lives, we don't have this platform. We don't have this opportunity to like just be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. And I can, I find it can be so enriching because everybody wants to talk, 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 but there's not a lot of space to be listened, you know? Yeah. And, oh, I find this is so yeah. powerful and so informative. Like there's so many things I learned and like so many mm-hmm. ways I sh- like it shifted my own mind. I was like, wow. Mm. I would have never thought of that. Or even sometimes it's not aligned with the way I think or like the things that I believe. But I still find it's a good exercise to get out of your comfort zone and not just always be validated, but sometimes be challenged and yeah. be like, oh, well, is what I'm thinking makes sense? Or like, you know, maybe I'm wrong too, you know? So I think it's, yeah, it's very, very enriching. Yeah, I completely hear that. That's amazing. And I think we're, we live in a culture that actually doesn't teach active listening in that way. Um, so it's a really great skill to hone and and like you said it just that's the basis of connection and it can be so such a rich experience even just in a in a minute on the street with a stranger like you could absolutely you you could reach that point almost instantly and I've had times that just ripple out into my life like oh that was it was my nervous system felt it. it was like such a rich moment between one human and another human it was just such a beautiful connection and yeah I think whenever we go through strife and struggle it's kind of it's those little moments are always in there like like always giving us an opportunity and we're absolutely wired for connection like we crave it we want it and we miss it because I think in our society we just don't have enough of that we don't have this like tribe and opportunities to connect every day some people they spend like especially now with the confinement and everything that's going on um like i don't know you in england you guys are confined yeah we're confined we're in lockdown confined. Yeah. yeah yeah us too exactly so like i think like this is so important to like you know create those opportunities for connection because so many people are isolated and they don't have that and we really thrive when we feel, feel hurt like heard and connected and seen so i think it's it's beautiful if as humans, we cultivate that aspect of ourselves where we're able to listen right. and we're able to provide that for others because it's not only for others, it's also so beneficial for ourselves. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's so incredible. And um, I heard recently from a number of people actually, you know, Dan Siegel says it and, and Terry Real has said it before as well. They're two kind of therapeutic guys. Um and I'm sure many, many people would say it, but um, we live in a kind of very analytic culture, right? And the empathic side of our culture is quite 
primitive. It's actually quite primitive mm. the way that we teach people to relate to each other in those ways. So yeah. Oh my god, that is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I never I thought of it this way, but thinking. you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing it. Well, that's what you did for me now. Like I'm hearing it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sinks <laughs> in pretty so quick. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. And like I see how it is also in my life. Like, I mean, I would say I'm a pretty empathic person, mm. but I never even allowed myself to go into that space of my being for like a very long time. Right. It was like it's a big so shame, taboo. Right? Yeah, there is still a lot of shame. And I was brought up, like even my background, like I've done a lot of research and like I did like my master's degree in occupational therapy and there was like so many research methods. It was so scientific that like there is not a lot of space for like, oh, let me just be my empathic self now, you know? Right. So it was like almost going against what was ingrained in me to like accept that. But then, you know, mm-hmm. um, I found a way to also integrate it with science because I find they don't have to like compete. They can also be yeah. aligned together. And the whole yeah. premise of science is we don't have, we don't know any, like everything. We just have a hypothesis, which is supported yeah. or not, you know, until a new thing comes in. So I'm like, hmm, how about, you know, like we kind of, yeah. make it into a hypothesis that maybe there is more to life than just you know the cartesian model we've been presented with yeah i think it's interesting this is we could probably spend hours talking about this um, <laughs> For because sure. I, I think the essence of science like you said um is is very open curious and it kind of sort of almost transcended the boundaries of what you're saying cartesian i'm not quite sure what that means but I would say Newtonian physics as a physics nut. <laughs> I would say that kind of maybe, <laughs> maybe that kind of Newtonian physics kind of angle as yes. well. Like very machine and everything yeah. is built. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's curious at this time, you know, um, we have the technology now and quantum physics is is transcending all of those boundaries. So the word science is yes. is and the, yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't Evolving linear like one against the other everything is encompassed in 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 life right i love i love what charles mm, eisenstein yes. says about into being into being as um as um all of us are sort of li- living as part of life rather than you know being separate from it mm, yeah i just love that yeah. It's like those little nuggets of wisdom you're throwing at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, loving this. This is amazing already. So thank you. <laughs> right. So, I mean, the first section you picked is riding the waves of change. the waves of change what does that mean Mm -hmm. oh my god I think throughout my whole life there was so much change Mm. like when I think back to like if if we start from today and like I just go backwards Mm -hmm. I feel like I've lived so many different lives Mm -hmm. and sometimes like looking very back I'm just like was that even my life it feels like it literally feels like I saw this in a movie somewhere, or maybe I had a dream about that, but that it's just so alien and so far away 
that I can believe that that was also part of my life. Yeah. And all of this in one lifetime span, you know, and like how all those things changed. Like I was born in Armenia and it was part of the Soviet Union. And so I was growing up in the Soviet Union and then that fell apart. And then there was a war in Armenia that broke, broke up with the Azerbaijan, the neighboring right. country. And there was like so much stuff going on. And like, there was a lot of like, there was no electricity. There was no food. There was no water. Like I remember we had water for maybe like five minutes a day. And the people who were living in our building, like on higher floors, the water, water didn't have time to go up to their floor. Wow. So they would come to our house to just fill buckets of water to have enough water for the day. And in winter, like we would hang the clothes we would wash by hand inside of our apartment and they would freeze. They were frozen. So we were walking like with coats, you know? Wow. And now I'm thinking back at that little girl and I'm like trying to think about it. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe that that was me. Like it feels so far away and such a different reality like completely different reality from what i'm living now mm. but sometimes it's like wow like so much change has mm. happened since you know yeah I and then like i take another chunk and then we kind of immigrated we went to israel we lived there for two years and the life in israel was like so different and there was like so much abundance like well maybe it's not abundance necessarily as i would see it now because i haven't returned since so I'd like but comparing from where i was coming that felt so abundant, you know, and it was like warm, there was no snow and like there was a new culture, everything was so different. So that was like, it's another little chunk that is like a little slice of life that is completely different. And then we moved to Canada and then in Canada again, it's like a whole new culture. And like throughout all of those cultures, like there is an aspect of me that stayed the same, but there is also a lot of aspects of me that shifted. Like, even if I was a mm. kid, like even through childhood, like I can see how that like, you know, shaped me, but also like, it's almost like those environments made me become a different person. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if it makes sense what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I'm, the, I'm interested. It really like, like really sense. riding the waves of like, this is me, mm. but this is like, almost no longer me because I changed so much through that, you know? And then when I was a teenager, um, I was 19, my parents passed away in a car accident and that was such Uh, a huge, tragic mm -hmm. and like just huge, huge change in my life. Like that completely, uh, yeah, it was a shock. Like that's, that's, I don't have another word for that. Like that completely turned my whole life upside down. Mm. And then all of a sudden it's like my identity completely had to change. Like, it's not like, like, it's like I was, almost like a child because 19 you're technically an adult but I wasn't really an adult like yeah. I never paid bills in my life like what right. is a mortgage I had no idea you know yeah right and yeah. then all of a sudden you're like well there you go now you're in adult world and you're by yourself and go adult and right. you also have no more support and like no wow. more protection wow so you're like you know and so all of a sudden like you're forced into this new reality and you're forced into this like new identity mm. and it's not like you had time to transition or let go. It was like, bam, there it is. Deal with it, you know? Wow. So wow. again, like, how do you find your foot in that? Like, how do you ride this wave? You know? Yeah, absolutely. It, so, so there's just like so many transitions. Like I see all those aspects of myself and sometimes I'm like, wow, like that was one aspect of me and one aspect of me and one aspect of me, but this is still all me. So I'm just like riding through all those challenges in life and through all those different um scenes like it's almost like a scene in a movie and like life presents you different plays and different scenes and i'm like wow like this is still but still keeping like an integrity throughout all of this and like Mm. where i am at now is i'm looking at all of this i'm like okay how is all of this for me 
you know so like i don't look at it like oh i'm a victim and everything that happened because th- this hmm. approach really does not benefit me i think it's like a very disempowering approach to have in life so it's more like okay well all of those things happen they just are how am I benefiting that? How is that shaping me? And how can I turn that into being the most empowering thing mm. for me? Yeah. Right? Because I think all the challenges are there for that. And um, yeah, for sure. yeah, I think it's it has a lot to do with riding the waves. It's like, so do I let it sink me? Mm. Or do I get on my surfboard? <laughs> and uh, yeah. Like ride the hell out of this. That's know, right. like Whatever this crazy thing life is, yeah. I'm going to ride the hell out of this. It's, and so this is what I'm doing. Like now I ended up in South of France and I'm married to like this amazing man and we live in the countryside, which I would have never imagined because I was like always a city girl. Mm. And yeah, like I'm mm. doing my coaching and I'm doing photography, which again is another thing I would have never imagined doing because in my culture it was like, you have to study you really have to like you know mm. work for somebody else and like your diplomas nah, nah, nah. and i'm like i've done all of this because yeah. i felt like i had to do the check mark you know mm. and then at the end i'm like i'm not fulfilled i'm not satisfied with that and i was like forget this <laughs> let yeah. me do what like my soul is calling me to do oh, wow, so yeah that's um that's, that's riding the waves for me mm. i'm interested there's so much there like wow what a life experience um and it's so, they're so different aren't they each stage is so different from the other and um i'm interested in a couple of times you said like there's a, a, like an essence of me that stayed or like maybe you were expressing yourself in each situ- situation um differently um but is there how do you feel about that essence that you you mentioned that that kind of like what does it what does it feel like to be you like amongst all these huge changes that's such a good question you know i never like i never really took the time to stop and think about it Mm. um for some reason now that you asked me this question like what comes up to me a lot is kind of the inner child Uh like this child that passed through all of this is still present and it's still resilient and now i'm almost like where i am in life now what I often do is like I almost reparent this child to like move through all of those things because um, a lot of them were very challenging and a lot of them were not necessarily coming from me, more like imposed. Like I didn't ask to be moved from my country to another country, to another country, to another country. Mm -hmm. It kind of like, it just happened. And so I think there was a lot of things that this child was carrying along up until like now. And this is, a bit of this essence and I'm like okay how can I heal that and create a safe space for that child to express its voice and mm. to speak all the things that I couldn't speak but that was still present in me through that child I don't know if that makes any yeah. sense at all mm. it does <laughs> like, to me that's just... it does to me mm-hmm. it's like an essence there like you know that mm-hmm. it's beautiful isn't it like the way that inner child's yeah they stick around they do, they do. They stick around, of course. We're just like kids in the big <laughs> people's bodies. Yeah, you know? yeah. I love the idea of being so, childlike um, instead of childish. You know, like it's like, yeah, stay childlike. Um, you can mature in spirit and still be like, you know, kind of childlike. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, now that I have my kids, they are, oh my God, they're so anchoring me back into the, my own childhood. Um, and I love, like, I love it. Like they see world through so much 
wisdom that we forgot like they are so anchored in the present moment they're not in the past they're not in the future they don't like they don't like they're here they're now and if you want to take them out of their now and project them into your future that you imagine they bring resistance and they like uh-huh. call you back and they call you in your face they're like hello i'm in this moment right now i don't know where you're trying to bring me woman but i don't <laughs> but like it <laughs> no they don't like it and it brings resistance and then sometimes you want to like engage the ego and be like well i had this plan so you better fit my plan but then they really like you know if you take a moment to step you're like wait why am i forcing my vision on this little human who is here and who's fully engaged in the moment instead of me like maybe letting go my own stuff and engaging in the moment right and so i think like this is what we forget like we we are so taught to like we have a mission we have to get there that instead like let's just relax and stay tuned and stay present and i think like this is one of the most beautiful aspects of being in tune with your own inner child is like be amazed at the moment yeah oh wow it's a great message Mm -hmm. i guess they're like that's the beauty of parenthood I guess like I don't have children but that's what I witness in others it's like constant teaching um re-coming back home to yourself yes um and also you you must see yourself in them right oh yes of course and it's it can be very triggering like Mm. I find the kids they're like a mirror of everything you have not integrated but it's amplified Oh, it's amplified yeah. so if you have some wounds around like i don't know like for example rejection or whatever it is and then you see your own child being rejected that wound that your wounded inside child is gonna come out crying but mm-hmm. intense intense itself because now it's projected it's projected onto your child that you love so much and you want to protect them from feeling what you're feeling so you know, I think it's such a beautiful opportunity for growth. Like it's really going to mirror you everything in you that still needs to be loved and nurtured and cared for. So Mm -hmm. instead of like uh, projecting your own wounds onto them, because then they pick them up, it's like, oh, wow, thank you. You brought that in me. How can I heal that? Like, thank Mm -hmm. you for like making me realize how much more love I need to put into that and how much like Mm -hmm. I need to address that aspect of myself. And we have this belief that the kids, they come so that we can teach them and guide them. I really believe that the kids, they come so that we can grow and we can learn. Like they are teachers if you know what to look for. Like they're the most amazing teachers you will ever have. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with that. Because I mean, in each generation as well, like, um, yeah, like it has to be that way, I suppose. Um, The kids will teach the adults um, what they haven't integrated. And I think it can be really hard for parents that aren't conscious um maybe they're that's that's, obviously that's their path um and they're not they're not like responsive to these things and it can just be um just like a a real challenge you know a real a real like oh yes why are they doing this to me kind of thing and you mentioned that before right (laughs) difference between why me and and life works for me is such a, a huge shift perspective oh my god yes and it was such a huge one for me because I was in that victim like mentality before and for a long time I wasn't that victim mentality I was like oh my god why does this happen to me Uh, but you know what at the end of the day it's like it happens Uh, that just life life happens you know and then it's up to me to make it for me or to me yeah 
Yeah, that's your it's, choice. It's, I'm the one who decides. I'm the one who creates the story. Like there is nobody else writing this story. There's nobody else creating that story. I'm the story maker. Right. Yeah, you are. That's incredible. That reminds me of a quote that I heard um, that said that everyone is their own center of the universe. <laughs> it's like, Absolutely. <laughs> you know? So the center of the universe is my heart. The center of your universe is your heart. Mm-hmm. And you get to choose. You know, I, I love it so deeply. Like, I never necessarily thought like as the center of the universe, but you're so right. And I think like what could come with that, and let me know what you think on this, okay, mm. is that maybe people would feel that this is very selfish. Mm. And so they were like, no, I don't want to be the center of my universe. Like the center of my universe mm-hmm. is those other people because this is so selfish. So we've been taught to think that being mm. selfish or making ourselves the center of our universe is like a very negative thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it is such a powerful thing when you think about it. Because yeah. when you make yourself the center of your universe, then that means you take total ownership of what you create in your universe. Mm. So it's no longer like you're just passively there. You are actually creating your universe. And then that means that you have the power to create whatever universe you desire. Mm. Mm-hmm. And from that space, you can totally create a universe. Well, the people you love so much mm. will feel so happy in it. They'll be joyful. They'll feel loved. They'll feel amazing because now you're coming from a place of empowerment instead of like being, well, I'm not the center and I have no control. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. I mean, absolutely agree. And there's a couple of things that come to me is that I I really resonate with the overflowing cup um, model. Mm. Um, um, I mean, having a cup in the first place is brilliant. Having a half full cup, it, I think it speaks to the duality of opposites. You know, everything has an opposite. So I think that's where the concept came from, really, like having water and then the space in a cup is like mm. everything has opposites. And it kind of speaks to the the way that opposing forces work. So, but I think that I think it's, for me, it's like the primitive narcissistic culture in a, in a way is has shown us these kind of cultural narratives around being selfish or you can't, you can't focus on yourself because that's a bad thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it depends how you, you view community, you know, because, you know, like you said so beautifully, like, if you focus on yourself, if you're so aware of yourself, you get to choose and respond to your environment. You get to, and, and, and basically like you have the capacity to love people and, and actually serve them. If you're in a, if you're in a place of victimhood or you don't understand your behavior, then you're actually a liability. Like that's what I heard today. You're actually, you're, you're a burden to the people around you. Absolutely. Yes. And you cannot serve them from the highest possible vision of you. Oh, yeah. we're done. <laughs> <laughs> that was a beautiful way to end. <laughs> the highest possible version of you, yes. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. That's so true. Yeah. And I think that once, um, once you're able, once you have enough space to to really start living from that version, it just becomes so rich, like you were saying earlier, just becomes such a rich thing to do. And yeah. There's so much space there. There's so much connection. So, yeah, I think 
selfish is interesting because the self is all we have, right? It's like self with a capital S, like or <laughs> or even just the self. You know that that's a good thing to recognize and and really true self love, isn't it? That's where absolutely. Yes, you have to to be selfish, really. Yeah, no, you're the basis of everything. So selfish, like we need to remove the uh, negative connotation from the selfish because there is selfish from being in a space of being so insecure that you want to feel safe. And so you do things for selfish purposes. But that's not what we're talking about here. I think we're talking from a a more very empowering and self-aligned perspective. Like maybe... Yeah, that's the difference between childish and childlike, possibly. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. All right, well, let's move on to the next section. It was, um, I agree with that a lot. And so, what does that mean for you? Mm, yeah, grief a lot. I think a lot of the grief that I had, it's more, it's really to do with losing my parents. Yeah. Because when yeah. you lose your parents and like, I really don't want to be like in like a victim, like that's, I'm not, not coming from like a very victim, like state mm. It's just, I want to talk about it openly. And it's so mm. powerful because it's, I think it's the first time I really talk about it publicly. Wow. <laughs> you know? well, so it. thank, thank you, you for, yeah, so thank you for to you like to provide this opportunity, you know. Mm. And I really believe that like just in general in our culture, there is so many taboos around death. Like I don't know what is more surrounded by taboo. Is it like sex, money, or death? I mean, <laughs> like yeah. I would go for death. I, I would really say death. No, but I would like honestly, from my personal experience, like there's more people open to talk about sexuality. And like, mm. as you know, like this is another thing. I work a lot. Mm-hmm. in with women mm-hmm. um then talk about that when you start talking about what people become automatically so uncomfortable because i think like it or not it kind of forces us to face our own finality sure. and a lot of people are not ready to hold space for that or even going mm-hmm. to that and i understand like it goes against our survival instincts right but i still think yeah. it's such an important aspect of our lives like we mm-hmm. all come here to play for a little while that's the way i see it like we come here to experiment like you have this body that is so cool but it's changing all the time and you're only here to like experience life through it and you play for a little bit and then you go <laughs> you know that's just uh, yeah. how it is so the more you integrate this into like the way you perceive reality and the more you come to terms with that the more like you can hold space for death in your life you know mm-hmm. so for me grieving the fact that my parents left is um well, first of all, yes, I grieve them and I still grieve them now. It's been like almost 20 years. Okay. But I don't think you can ever heal from that. Like their lack, the lack of your parents is just, it's always going to be there. You know, it's just, you kind of learn to live with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can understand. But I think like, but there's another thing, like you also grieve your life that you imagined with them like i imagine them being there for me for my wedding and i imagine them to be there for me for like when my kids are born or stuff like this you know mm-hmm. so you grieve the loss of everything you imagine with that person as well and then you grieve also the person you were wow. because that's again like we touched up on before that like you also lose your identity so i was a daughter so i was 
like in my head, like the stories I was telling myself, like I was protected, I was cared for, I was loved, and now there is nobody who loves me or cares for me or protects me. So it's like you almost have to reinvent yourself. And I think when death happens, depending how, I don't think you can ever be fully ready for somebody's death. Although like there's much more um, beautiful ways to approach it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like sometimes you're just forced with this reality that you were completely not ready to receive or to change. So like there's there was a lot of grieving going around that. And not just because I was missing my parents so much and I was feeling so lonely and so alone. Um, yeah. It was also because like, I grieved the life I imagined and I grieved the person I was. So there was like yeah. a lot of those aspects. You know? Wow. In a very short time so, as well. Yes. In a very, yeah. yeah in a very, well, with, with them in that case, it was like, you know, it was a car accident. So it's, it's not like something that was like, you know, like with some disease, for example, you would kind of maybe have some time to prepare yourself mentally. Although like depending again, like how prepared can you be for that? You know? Mm, yeah, of um, so, cool. you know, but like, this was like very, boom, you know, it just happened. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think, like, this is a big part of, like, grieving. But I think grief can also be a beautiful thing in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, when you stop resisting it and you just allow it to move through you, like, yeah. the way I see it is, like, imagine it's, like, waves. And the more you fight against those waves, mm-hmm. the harder it is for you to breathe because you're not allowing them, like you're just like taking to the storm and you're like shoved under the water. And when you just, you just let go, you let go of the resistance and you allow it like to just move through you and you realize that it's a storm. Mm-hmm. It is moving through you, but you're not the storm, mm-hmm. you know, and you're not, you're not, you're not drowned. You're just, you need to let it pass through you. Yeah. I think this really helps. Like, Mm-hmm. I don't know if this would be like fitting into the context that we're talking about, but like my grandpa passed away um, a month and a half ago mm-hmm. and his death was so different from, Oh, thank you. It was so different from my parents' death because when I my experience, my parents, death, like the whole culture was like, it's a very Western culture. Right. So it was like, okay, somebody died. So you now have to um, feel grief for the rest of your life. And like, even I was in church and, there was this priest or I don't remember who it was, but like, I know he was coming from a good place, but like, he was like, Oh, my poor child. Now you're an orphan. And it's like, that's oh. such a disempowering, like, you know, like yeah. way to talk to somebody like, Oh, on top of this, by the way, you're an orphan now, you know? Yeah. And like the whole mindset was like, okay, now we have to cry and we have to grieve. And, and you have to, like, you almost felt guilty for like maybe having a good day where you were not grieving because mm-hmm. that like maybe had an like, connotation that you were not loving your parents enough you know so like you would almost feel guilty for not grieving to the person and so like this because i think in western culture we don't have space for grief we don't talk about grief we don't um hold it as you know like as a sacred like we don't talk about that you don't talk to your kids i had zero expectation and then what all i saw was like okay now i have to cry for the rest of my life i had no other Mm -hmm. example of how to go around that you know and now we ignore ignore that Mm -hmm. we ignore that it exists and exactly, exactly. It, and then when it comes yeah. it's like it's a taboo right yeah and it's a double shock because and also i think that there's a lot of narrative in western culture that actually you know we we're trying to live forever like yes it throughout yes. the technology narratives as well like yes. the robot stuff and the um human enhancement and stuff you know it all springs from the fact that we try to ignore death 
Absolutely, and, and because we don't hold space for our finality. Yeah, exactly. And I think that also affects our, our emotional cycles. I love what absolutely. I love what you said about grief being um, moving through you, and the, the more you resist it, the worse it gets because it's such a yes. force. It's like one of the biggest yes. forces yes. in life. It's absolutely it? a huge force. Yes, yeah, it really is, um, and it's a force where you have no control. Yeah, no matter how yeah. much you try yes. to have control, so you don't have control over grief. Yeah. You know, and I think this is. It's also it can be beautiful in a way to have like this. Oh, this sur- like surrendering, like just surrender, you know, and it can be so empowering at the same time. And now, like when my grandpa passed away, I already built all this knowledge and I exposed myself to different ways of seeing. And I built myself to the point where like death for me, because what I took from the experience from my parents, like I said, about making it for me and not to me, mm-hmm. like, how can I grow from that? How can I learn from that? And so I built myself from that. And I, like, I, I was able, when my grandpa was passing away, I was able to hold space for him. And I was actually on the phone when he was in, in the hospital in Canada because I couldn't go because of the confinement. Uh, um, I was with my sister and I was doing a meditation for him while he was passing. And I told him, you can go, like you're safe to move. We're here, we're okay, we're stable. Like just, mm. you know, you can let go. And like, this was such a healing way to approach that. Yeah. And I like, I did a beautiful ritual for him while he was passing and I was deep in meditation and like I light candles and like, I'm just like channeled this beautiful mm-hmm. ritual to help his soul pass and like hold space. And like, you know, and I was like, wow, like if I pass, that's how I want it to be. And I don't want it to be like this really negative thing. Like he's soul is shifting to maybe another dimension or whatever it's like Mm. beliefs you have around that Mm. and i'm facilitating that i'm not here to hold him in my sorrow and make it about me me Mm. me and my Mm. pain i'm here to help him and on his journey on his soul journey right and i think this is such a powerful way to approach death why don't we have that in our culture Mm, absolutely it's an honor isn't it it's an honor yes and we've lost that we completely lost that and then and then now when I feel grief for him because I loved him so deeply and I still love him so deeply, I allow this grief to just pass through me. I'm like, okay, well, right now I'm feeling grief and it's passing through me and I'm crying and that's okay. And it's going to take as long as it takes. Maybe today is going to be the whole day and maybe tomorrow it's just going to be an hour and I just let it go. You know, like I don't get, I don't hang on it and I don't have like, res- like if tomorrow I don't feel grief I'm not gonna be like oh you're a bad granddaughter because you don't cry for like you know like it's it's a whole different approach with grief yeah so yeah grief is a big topic in my yeah wow in my my world yes experience yeah you must be do you feel like well-versed in grief if I do what sorry do you feel like well-versed in grief do you feel like you've had lots of experience and you've kind of I think I had more experience than lots of people yeah, my age. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, already like most of adults I speak to, they still have at least like both of their parents or at least one. And even like people more into like the 40s and the 50s, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them still have both of their parents. So I think like already just losing your parent is such a big one. And then witnessing my grandparents losing their, their child, that was another huge wow, one. Yeah. And, you know, so that. like it's, yeah so like like being there to also support them through that and kind of like you know because when you lose somebody in your family like it's not just you it's everybody like a part of their life has completely shifted and it's like how do you support that person through my grief and their grief at the same time you know Mm -hmm. so yeah there is yeah there is there is a yeah and i've lost a lot of people also so like there's i would say like (laughs) 
grief unfortunately is part of my life but you know what like it's it's a thing we need to learn to live with because death yeah. is natural and yeah. i think the more you can make it integrated into your life without becoming like morbid i'm not sitting and obsessing about death i'm not thinking about death all the time we just you know we speak about grief in this podcast now with you so i brought it up but it's not something that i'm obsessing every day but i also don't make it a taboo and i don't make it like a weird thing and when my kids you know when my grandpa passed away i explained to them i explained to them that i'm like you know we all come here for a little short time then we go when our mission is complete and mama has a lot of grief now that is why mama is crying but mama is okay like yeah. i'm not broken or shattered i'm just feeling a lot of grief yeah, and i yeah, think if yeah. somebody would have explained that to me i would have had a completely different approach to grief right that's such a beautiful way to hold your children there because it's i feel like the confusion of mum crying is way worse than the actual crying and of course the kids um they cry we like they're mm-hmm. not yeah so they can understand i think you know there's there's too much kind of in, it's weird because there's too much like infantilizing really around children maybe i mean i know that it's important mm-hmm. to an extent but they can understand a lot a lot of things oh kids understand so many things they yeah. really understand a lot i think it's about like how do you approach them you know yeah. and if you explain to them they really get it Mm. like they get it and like i think it's so important to make them the distinction that i am feeling a lot of grief but i am not broken and i will not fall apart i'm just feeling a lot of grief and this is how it's manifesting through me and that's okay i can hold a safe space for that grief because that will give them tools also like oh well i can approach grief like that too you know eventually when you know hopefully not anytime soon but one day they will have to face that right like every each one of us will have to face that at some point and and like you said earlier, it helps them actually to in their emotional cycle because that is a really big part of grief. Um, because everything is like you know macro and micro. We have the 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 big griefs, but also the very small griefs, like like transitional periods of someone's life. Of course, you know absolutely. they have to grieve being letting go, like you said letting go of the person that you were before and you almost look backwards and think oh well I'm a different person completely so that's absolutely real grief there as well absolutely and there's so many griefs like they can be little griefs like you know sometimes I'm just really bummed about something and I thought it was going to be this way and it's really not this way and you know what it's a little grief you know it's okay but uh, I think it's important to know that you can hold space for it to pass through you without becoming yeah uh, without it becoming a part of your identity you know like and becoming like part of your constant dialogue it's okay i have this feeling i see you i have space for you and you can safely move through me oh beautiful that's really really cool yeah it reminds me of something that um was in one of my courses i think terry real said this he was and he was working with a woman that said yeah what if what if he's not there for me what if he doesn't understand me? And then Terry Real said, well, then you'll be hurt and you'll have to grieve that loss. And that's being part that's of, that. that's part of life. So oh, grief, it's, that was a beautiful thing. It really struck me. And I think that's a thing. If we're adept at grief, actually, we can relate to a partner. We can also relate much better. Like, because like you said, it's those little expectations that that we have to have 
but that don't mm. always go our way and then that's a type of loss that we have to mm. be really really just compassionate with and absolutely many people work themselves up into a, such a tight ball around that um, and I think the more we kind of realize that it's just part of life, like I think in like especially in Western culture, like there is such, I would say like almost toxic obsession with happiness. Uh, yeah. And I mean, like I'm all for <laughs> happiness. Like I am a happy person because I choose to be happy yeah. and I love being happy. But you know what? Like sometimes when sh- sorry <laughs> shit happens, so like when stuff <laughs> happens, you know, like. Yeah it's okay like it's okay to also not be okay sometimes you know it doesn't mean i like to dwell in this not okayness but i'm not gonna try to like force move it through me and like you know pretend it's or pretend like the worst you can do is pretend it's not there like Mm, no you know so i think it's so important to like also hold space for that for those emotions for grief for pain for like you know sadness all those feelings are very very valid and they're all there for a reason you know and the more we can I think even teach ourselves and teach our children that those feelings are valid feelings and they're okay, but it doesn't mean that you have to become that Mm. and that you can safely hold space for them and let them pass through you, but they're not going to last forever. Then the better we're all going to be equipped to like handle our emotions and be resilient and, you know, like thrive in life. Right. Absolutely. Couldn't have put it better myself. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, that's time for this section. That was that was incredible. Awesome! <laughs> wow, what it's grief is so important, and I think you know. And also, we what we didn't talk about was forgiveness. Maybe we could mm. <laughs> we could bring that in at the end. But yeah, I mean, it's oh, just, I can talk for hours about forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could we could be here all night. The next section you picked is share a shame. I always felt this, but I. Never feel like I could tell anyone. Share a shame. So what does that mean for you, Natalia? Share a shame. Huh. Okay. So share a shame. I think, uh, well, this is really going to nicely tie in with what mm. I currently work in. Um that's a big one because I think like, mm. and that really comes from me unraveling a lot of my own shame. Okay. So the work that I do with women now, it really is rooted on the work I've done previously on myself. Mm-hmm. So a big part of what I work on with women right now is really releasing a lot of sexual shame okay. that women carry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't realize how deeply rooted it can be. Mm. Like, I remember growing up as a kid and, like, I don't think my parents, they necessarily expressed, like, oh, um, you know, you shouldn't be having sex with anybody. Always, like, an undercurrent. Mm. And so when you kind of teach that to kids, like, you shouldn't be doing this. And so there's, like, you know, like, almost you're a disgrace if you have like and especially like I come from an Armenian background so they're still very very patriarchal and they're still very very like into um like a sexual woman is really not seen as something positive there like you should not be sexual like unless you're married and then you should be like super sexual with your husband (laughs) 
Because yeah. if no, then he's allowed to like cheat on you and leave if you don't satisfy him. Which oh, again wow. is like so hypocritical because like, okay, so first you tell women you're not allowed to be sexual. It's like all your life, there's like this, you know, this idea of like your sexuality doesn't belong to you. Uh, your sexuality is not yours. You are supposed to be like, you know, technically when you get married, when you lose your virginity it's like okay well this is the moment when you give your sexuality to somebody else you know so again it's not something yours it doesn't belong to you like it's not like and if ever you dare to lose that then like you're losing a big aspect of who you are and your respectability as a human how messed up is that yeah programming to me like for me and then like all of a sudden once you're married like you're expected to be like this sex goddess in bed with your husband but how are you going to be this sex goddess yeah so that's i completely agree yeah it's like like, it's like women never actually own their sexuality and sexuality is is the life force right so it's basically it's absolutely it's oppressive and you never thought that it's yours like you never thought that you own it it's more like okay well it belongs to somebody else and you're not taught how to claim it and if you cannot claim it, like if you cannot ask for pleasure, then how can you receive pleasure? Because you never explore it because you never know it. Mm. And then once you get married, it's like all of a sudden now the expectations completely change. Like at least this is how I was brought up like in our culture. It's like, and I still hear it so often. Like I'm from Armenia, but I'm also like from Russian background. And I hear it so often, like in Russian culture, like, okay, well you better like, you know, um, please your man. If not, he'll go find somebody else. Like it's okay for him, you know, <laughs> to like, uh, if you yeah. don't satisfy his needs to go somewhere else, which is like so toxic because like that means that uh, first of all, your sexuality and like your relationship with your partner is not there like for the pleasure of both of you. It is there just for his pleasure. Right. right. And so women never learn how to um, make sexuality theirs. And then you have so much taboo around it and you have so much shame about it because most of your life you were grown up being told that you shouldn't be sexual because then like you're a slut, you know? So like, yeah. so you're like, okay, so wait, let me get it straight. Like I'm not supposed to be sexual because then I'm a slut. And all of a sudden I'm supposed to know everything about sex and be there to please my husband. Like how does that work? You know? And it's not like in between there is somebody coming along and teaching you things, no. you know? Yeah. It's like, here, there, you now you're supposed to know. It's and so hard. The thing is that, it yeah. is hard and like the truth is so women like they don't know how to ask for pleasure and they feel so ashamed around pleasure and this is something that was the case for me too like I was so ashamed to like ask for my pleasure and talk about my sexuality and even like admitting that I am a sexual woman that like mm-hmm. you know like we love sex too and it's okay you know yeah. and it's okay to like make sex about us and like to make our like sexual relationships about us as well and like our pleasure is also important Mm-hmm. and i know this is shifting so much and i'm so happy that like, more and more people speak about it and like there is so much more like podcasts there's like a lot of shows and like education around sexuality and i think it's so important but it's still so deeply rooted like mm. even like i'll give you an example like i posted pictures uh because i do photography boudoir photography so it's very intimate portraiture for women as well mm-hmm. and sometimes like i still have men and women commenting to me like you shouldn't be doing this or this is disrespectful or this is for the girls who are like not good girls like what does it even mean you know like and even now like you still you still have that like we think we're moving forward but we're really not that advanced 
-hmm. in that sense, you know, and there is still so much shame to like strip off and remove. And for women, like, I think one of the most crucial thing that was for me is kind of like reclaiming that Mm -hmm. and getting reconnected with my own like sexuality and discovering it because a lot of women like when you have shame you're not gonna get to know your body yeah what brings you pleasure you're not gonna go into that like always told that it's not yours and you shouldn't go there but how can you guide your partner to bring you pleasure if yourself you don't know how to like look for pleasure and then like there is the kind of reverse coin of what's going on in society is that we kind of have this belief inherently that men they're so experienced in sex and they know exactly how to please a woman yeah (laughs) and that is just so not true yeah that is not true because so many guys have been educated by porn and the porn culture in general is not necessarily very centered around a woman's pleasure and so what happens that a lot of women end up pretending that they have pleasure because they look at that you know even at movies and stuff they're like oh that doesn't represent me so maybe there is something wrong with me so they shut down even more and they carry even more shame and so they never speak up and they never tell their partner what they like and their partner they don't know i'm pretty sure there's like so many men who want to like you know or partners like who want to please their women they want to like you know have them experience joy and pleasure but if the woman doesn't speak up he can't know yeah. And this is, I think, where there's like a big gap and a lot of work to be done in terms of like women reclaiming their power and losing the shame and speaking out because sexuality is such an integral part of our being and of our experience of life and our experience in our bodies and the joy that this can bring and the connection that this can bring and like the intimacy it can bring. Like, I don't like it's losing this idea that sexuality is something that is so shameful and so dirty and so sinful or whatever other terms that were applied mm. and like really reconnecting to the, um, to the innocence of it, to the beauty of it. To like, mm-hmm. just like, I find it so pure. Like this connection is so sacred. Like it's such a primal force that like life like moves through us. And like you said, like sexual energy is like the life energy. And the more we remember the sacredness of it and the more we can experience that with our partners, like the deeper our lives can be and the deeper the connection we can create with our partners. But it all starts with like losing the shame. Mm. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's really beautiful. And um, and such a big part of that is communication, isn't it? Because like you said, if, if absolutely doesn't know their own body and their own pleasures. Um, and it's it's um there's a narrative i guess around sexuality that if you just kind of fumble around in the dark you're gonna figure it out um and it's you're gonna uh, figure something out figure something out out, but is it the most (laughs) amazing you can have like probably not yeah probably not so yeah it's it's a very it's a very kind of um simple I actually don't want to use that word. It's not simple. It's kind of childish way to view sexuality, and I guess, I guess it came it came from a lot a lot from the kind of um, Puritan like Christianity, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but not just Christianity. Like I mean, where I was is uh, where it was like more Middle East. Yes, they're Christian there, but they're also surrounded by a lot of like Muslim countries. And I think it's like it's just a very patriarchal 
okay. approach to sexuality in general. Like, you know, it's like very, you know, like women had no power in that for such a very long time. And mm. I think like their ways of, this is just my theory, okay? So like if somebody disagrees, like I would love to have this discussion. Um, yeah. But I feel like for a very long time, women had no access to um, education. They didn't have access to paying jobs. They didn't have access to like many things to be able to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. And so what happened is that like they kind of relinquished their, well, they didn't relinquish their power, but they, they were relinquishing their sexual power to please the men because the man was the provider. So yeah. it was almost like necessary for survival. Yeah, I was gonna for say women, that. you know. It's a survival. So it it like that's my theory. Like I might be wrong. So like you know, if if you guys disagree, like let us know. But this is like what I kind of came up with. Like I think that this might be something that played a big role into women not feeling empowered in their sexuality, and that their yeah. sexuality was so dictated and like so like almost like a it was like you know even the virginity myth. Like like you have to be virgin before you get married. No, no, no. Like. I think it was a lot of like proving that the goods are still good, you know, because it was so transactional, you know? So there was like no place for a woman to claim her sexuality and her sexual power. And if, Mm. you know, you were never taught that, then generationally that was what was passed on. So if your mother didn't know that and your grandmother didn't know that, then how can they bring that to you and like teach you those things, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is so deeply rooted into like Mm -hmm. just collective consciousness, like... Yeah. So I think the more women yeah. lose the shame and the more women reclaim that aspect of themselves and the more women actually speak up or they seek they seek like even support around that. There is like so many beautiful communities now. And if somebody feels called to join like my Facebook group, well, we talk a lot about that as well. Like I would love to welcome any woman who feels called to that. But there is a What's lot of code? mentions you can find. Huh? What's the that group? code? Yeah. Ah, it's called Unapologetically Me. Ah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, so it's like it's about reclaiming all aspects of ourselves as well. Wow. So, and I think I, just, it's, I also want to add. So important, oh, like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 go, go. Add that you know, if 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 someone doesn't feel like sexuality or the energy in their nervous system, if it's been passed down generation generationally, then that is a form of trauma. It, it definitely is a, a a mode of survival. Um, but it is learned. Mm-hmm. It's also learned behavior. Like it, it. it it, it is it needs to be practiced right absolutely absolutely and you know it's it's i think it's also important to remember it's a spectrum okay so uh-huh. like what's normal for me might not be normal for you so like maybe you know some people have a whole lot of sexual energy going through them and they feel comfortable in that and that's totally okay and some people maybe it's not that important for them and that's totally okay as well you know mm-hmm. but you have to you know like you know kind of I think what you brought up is very interesting because you need to know, like, am I not allowing this energy pass through me because it's sincerely and honestly just not important for me and I just don't feel it and Mm. that's okay? Or am I not allowing it because there is some deeply rooted shame or trauma or something that needs to be addressed for it to pass through? Right. And how how do you work with shame with, with women? And how do... Sorry, I didn't answer. Uh, like your question. How did I what? How do you work with shame with women? Um. Well, there's two ways. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of both go hand in hand. Like I started with doing boudoir photography, which is like I mentioned previously, it's like a very intimate way, like an intimate portraiture for women where they're like really, um, the whole point is to really help women um, 
embrace their bodies and express their sexuality, but like in a very safe environment. So a lot of women allow me to share their pictures. There is also a lot of women who really do it for themselves and they don't want those pictures shared. So I think this is a beautiful way to kind of explore your own sexuality and it can be very powerful as well. But I think in that the most important is to reclaiming exactly and it's important to kind of find your somebody you trust to do this with mm-hmm. and but i found it was not a deep enough container because every time we would do that like you open this door and you start a discussion and there's like so many things come up mm-hmm. um so i decided to expand that container and do like hold um a one-on-one coaching sessions with women like really around sexuality and cleaning our body and mm-hmm. loving and accepting our body because that's also a big part of us reclaiming our sexuality go hand in hand like if you don't love your body then it's very hard for you to express your sexuality Mm, you know and vice versa if you don't accept your sexuality and you carry shame then you cannot fully love your body so it's it's yeah they're very Mm -hmm. tightly so those are like the two ways where i really um hold space and uh, guide women for that thank you thanks for sharing that Mm, thank you for letting me talk about this oh, it's my pleasure. i mean shame is a huge um huge fascination for me and um yeah as, as myself as a one-on-one coach i, I deal with, a lot with shame um, of course i can imagine yeah and i think it's a huge part of our culture as well um shaming culture is is a massive part especially yes. if you think about like 50 years ago it was really accepted as a really positive thing to shame a child um into yes. to keep them in line so yeah I think there's a lot there's a lot with shame and I'm so happy to just sit and witness and contribute to this conversation because oh more- my god and it's such a yeah. powerful conversation you allow people to have it's so important what you're doing nice yeah I feel that way thank you so much for <laughs> recognizing that it's beautiful <laughs> I think, yeah I think the power the power is in all of our stories um and how we hold them in our body and when I think about my time in music I think the voice is so important to that because everyone's voice has their Mm -hmm. own unique um, experience in it and sexuality um, one of the biggest shames I feel is around sexuality is actually around the voice and sexuality like voicing your your sexuality and what you you get mm-hmm. from and n- not being afraid to be like this is what i want you to do <laughs> this is yes, my it's, it's such a big one it's a yeah. huge one yeah so i think that's really it's a empowering. huge one yeah yeah and to 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 be able to trust your partner to oh, yeah. listen to you and not to judge you and yeah. to accept you because i think sexuality like we, we kind of have like this tendency to think about sexuality as like such a very primal and almost animalistic thing, but yeah. it is such a vulnerable and powerful place to be with our partners or it, like, it doesn't matter if it's a long-term partner or even like a very short-term partner because you are fully seen in all aspects of you. You are like literally naked body and soul when you yeah, come with another partner, right? Yeah. Yeah, because if you're able to voice that, then you're showing like the most vulnerable parts of yourself, and you're voicing them, and you are trusting that the other person will not judge you, and will not ridicule you, and will accept you fully. And this is so, so yeah, deep and powerful and strong. Absolutely, and 
I just wanted to, to say that the trust thing, thanks for bringing that up because trust is so important um, to sexual relationship or like the way that you relate to a partner and pleasure. And if sex isn't happening or it's not feeling good, then, you know, it's part of a normal process sometimes. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. the trust has been ruptured and you need to repair that or you might need to see someone like a counsellor or a relational therapist. It, it can be... Because for men, for men, we're taught that, you know, um, a lot of what we're taught is that if we're good in bed, we're like a good person, you know? Yes. Um, yes. So when the sex yes. kind of, when, when sex stops or like pleasure stops physically in a relationship, it can be very, it can be very, very um, difficult um, mm. to experience. It Right. I absolutely love that you brought it up because it's such a big one. And again, I think like this is where it's so important to have those discussions because what happens that, and this is something I witness quite often, is that um, there is this inherent narrative that the man, like his worth is kind of tied with his performance and performance. with his sexual ability, right? Yeah. And so the woman if she was not able to express how she needs to be loved and all of a sudden like she kind of blocks off and takes off mm. and then she sees that the man he's taking it so personally because so many men their ego is so tied into like their performance and all of a sudden the woman is not expressing she's not explaining but she's suddenly pulling off so that kind of like shatters their own ego you know because there is no discussion going on so with the woman that's like oh my god now i need to protect his ego because women are so trained to be like this protectors and caterers yeah. and like saviors and, and like oh my god let me right? yeah and let me let me cater to his ego so instead of like actually owning up and speaking up and explaining and telling women kind of like okay let me just continue performing for him so that he can feel safe yes. you know so and again that just kind of like reinforces the cycle where there is no communication but at the end of the day it's just about communication like this is so crucial yeah. And that's why it's so important that women lose the shame and like they learn to speak up and they claim um, they claim the responsibility for their orgasm, you know, because mm. we kind of believe that like it's the man who is supposed to bring the woman the orgasm and like he's responsible for that performance and that's what's gonna qualify him. Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. if the woman doesn't explain to the man how she wants to be pleased and she doesn't speak up and she doesn't own her own sexuality, then it's very hard for a man to do that. Yeah. You know, so there is, yeah, there is so much work to there's be done. There's a ton in here, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There's a lot of work to do in this area. <laughs> yeah, and there I think is. it's so beautiful that you because like there is so many conversations that should be happening like openly between mm. men and women and like bringing their points and like bringing like their ways of seeing things because I think there is not enough of that. Absolutely, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, just my own experience of sexual trauma in childhood. That's mm -hmm. a huge point. I think a lot of men have experienced sexual trauma and that is not a conversation that's happening in, our, in any culture. So In any I, culture, yes. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a huge opening there um, because I think sex is actually maybe a little traumatizing for a lot, for a lot of people. Um, yes. So, yes. yeah. And we talk a lot about women and I, I absolutely don't want to minimize their experience and it's huge. And for a long time, women were used as like sexual objects. And I think, I don't want yeah, to say all the women, but I would say pretty much big, big part of women 
yeah. If I when I tell them that, you know, that moment when you said yes, but you actually meant no, ah. and you didn't feel safe, just the say cons- no. The consent spectrum, right? Yes, like I think a lot of women can relate to that, but and it's it's extremely valid, and I think it's so important to like talk about this. But it's so beautiful that you brought this up that probably men also had this experience and in our culture we don't have space for men to come openly and talk about that mm. uh without like losing their masculinity in a way right because yeah. we all, like there is like this social expectations of how a man should be and this definitely doesn't fit in it you know mm-hmm. and it's sad because we're at the end of the day we're all human beings mm-hmm. we're just human beings we're like souls put in different bodies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of our experience and all of our um pains are valid pains and we should be able to talk about them yeah we should and that's the way forward isn't it absolutely and so you're creating those beautiful um spaces for those discussions to happen so thank you for that no it's my pleasure thanks for being a part of it um yeah is there anything you wanted to bring up um to end end with like anything you wanted to discuss or Got a three fifteen oh, section at the end. I, the three fifteen section. Huh, that's a good one. Um, I think we covered so many things, and yeah. I think like you know when when we talked about the like about the big taboos in our society, we already covered like two of them. Yeah, we, <laughs> we talked about sex and we talked about death. So yeah. I don't know what was like the other big one we could maybe just throw it in. But honestly, I think it's, it's really it. really important to um to open up and find the right environment. And like, this is, this was so crucial for me to like really shift my environment because it, it impacts us so deeply, you know? And I think now what's the beautiful thing is that like, we are in a very unique time in history where we have actually access to any type of environment we would like to have access to. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you can find like, very open platform like i found you and i'm so glad because like we can have this discussion now you know but imagine if like i don't know 30 40 years back you probably did not have this opportunity to like freely speak and share with people who have the same opinions as us or like uh maybe explore different things so i think whatever it is that you're seeking in life and whatever it is that you want to bring more in your life or whatever it is that like you really want to cultivate just Mm -hmm. go and find those people like for me that my environment was crucial in like yeah becoming who i am today yeah absolutely and it's really about safety isn't it and just finding people who yes. can hold you in trust and understand what you're going through without those agendas and judgments and stuff like that absolutely and i think more and more of us like really want that like we're tired of mm. this roughness and of this not cruelty but of this mm. like pretense force and strength all the time you know like we just want honesty and vulnerability and gentleness and kindness you know like because that's that's where i think that's where all spirits thrive is in kindness and gentleness because when you feel safe and you feel gentleness towards yourself and you cultivate gentleness towards yourself not just from external like environment but also like coming from yourself because that's another thing like where I work with women is so often our internal dialogue is so mean. Yeah, so yeah, much yeah. Bullying, bullying. You know? So it is, it is a big work because our environments has have been so 
tough and bullying and mean, you know? So like, we just didn't see any other ways of relating to ourselves. Like there was no other models modeled to us, right? Yeah, right. So that's kind of like what we interiorized. So I think by seeking out those like more kind and gentle environments that are, that are out there, yeah. they exist, right? It will also shape the way we talk to ourselves. And like, but it has to become conscious. Like it has to be like a conscious practice. Like if some people wait for like, oh, um, I'm going to experience more self-love and self-acceptance one day, Mm. that is probably not going to happen. Like you have to bring consciousness to it and you have to actually bring practice to it and bring that into our world or whatever it is that you want to bring more into your world, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, like... um, we touched upon this at the beginning of our conversation. We are all storytellers and we are all creators. <laughs> and it's up to us what we create and the stories we tell. And it will be very hard for you to believe in a story where you are powerful or where you are, you know, like where the world is gentle if everybody around you um, tells a different story, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then we just have to seek for it. Sick and you will find, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, just want to thank you. Yeah, again, like I'm so grateful to have this conversation. It's been so, it's been so incredible, and mm-hmm. so much, so much. Like, I think it's just the vulnerability and the openness that you bring to the conversation, and and obviously, I was more than happy to bring the same. So it's just been such a rich experience. So thanks. Mm. Thanks, Natalia. And thank you. You held such beautiful space. Beautiful. <laughs> thank you for being an amazing host. <laughs> I really, really loved having this discussion with you. Amazing. And I think there should be more of those discussions happening in the world yeah. if we really want to create a shift. And I, I, I really believe we can create a shift. Yeah. I really believe like we can build a better world, a more kind world, a more yeah. empowered world. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be the change. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um if anyone wants to find you um from this where they, where can where can people find you oh people well if um any woman who listen to that feels called i would mm. absolutely love to welcome them to my facebook group uh that's where i'm the most active right now so it's on facebook it's called unapologetically me if not i'm also on instagram um it's unleash the goddess so unleash underscore the underscore goddess um and if not just on my facebook profile like my facebook name is natalia dunn and i would absolutely love to chat or if you have any messages or you know i'm super open i'm super happy to interact with people so yes wow beautiful thank you so much and um thanks for thanks for your time today thanks for your presence well thank you loved it thanks a lot see you again See you, bye. Just want to express my gratitude again to Natalia Dunn. What an incredible, profound conversation about some of the greatest taboos of human experience and really open and vulnerable and safe and trusting environment. So, thank you. And thanks everyone for listening. To everyone who stopped by today, I hope you found this conversation valuable. And even if you didn't, if it served you on your life's journey, 
in some way, shape, or form, then I have gratitude for that. Thanks for your time, attention, your presence, and your love. If you'd like to support the podcast, we have a Patreon account. Just find me on Patreon, Peter Middleton underscore. And we have a Facebook community now called We Are The Light People. If you'd like to continue these conversations, then send me a request. Lots of love and take care.